What's up, y'all? This is Pastor Joshua, and as Pastor John said last week, we live in a very strange and unique time due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I know it is strange and abnormal to not to get together as a church on the Lord's Day and to hear sermons from your pastors via audio rather than in person in the context of the gathered church. Well, it is just as strange for your pastors to preach to you through a recorded sermon rather than in person. And although it is strange, yet our God is not surprised by any of it. In fact, he has providentially willed for it to be this way, and he's done it for his glory and our good. And so we can trust him in this time as we wait for the day, prayerfully wait for the day where we can gather again as a church. So I want to pray and then we're going to get into the sermon. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and we thank you that your throne is a throne of grace. God, that we can draw near, that we know that you hear our prayers because you've adopted us in Christ. And so, Father, we pray that as we open your word, that you would Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things, that we may stand in awe of your mercy displayed through the giving up of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. God, we pray that um, you would fill us with your spirit, that we would stand in awe of the sacrifice of Christ, that we would rejoice in what he has done for us, that we will praise you for the hope that we have in him. Father, give us understanding of your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sacrifice. It is a term that we are all familiar with, and it can be defined as some religious act in relation to worship where an offering is made to God. And truth be told, this term gets at the very heart of the Christian faith. And when I say this, I am not referring to our sacrifice to God, but rather the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. You see, we who are in Christ have benefited eternally by Jesus' sacrifice. In fact, sacrifice is one of the words that can be used to summarize Good Friday. You see, on Good Friday over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was sacrificed in the place of sinners to save. And we commemorate Good Friday by remembering his death. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 52. and We'll be in verse 13 going all the way through to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 12. Where we will read the prophecy of Jesus Christ being sacrificed to save his people. And this was prophesied centuries before the son came to fulfill it. So a little bit of context before we read the passage, the book of Isaiah, it is written by Isaiah the prophet. He prophesied to the southern kingdom being Judah, and he prophesied to them centuries before they were taken into exile. You see, in the book, um, he promised that judgment will be coming. And then in the second half of the book, starting with uh, chapter 40, he begins to focus on this salvation that would happen, this great deliverance culminating in Isaiah chapter 53, where we would see the deliverance through the suffering 
of God's chosen servant. And friends, this prophecy was only fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so before we begin, our big idea is this, that Jesus is the suffering servant who died for sin to save his people. I'll say it again. Our big idea is Jesus is the suffering servant who died for sin to save his people. And I have three points that we would see from the passage concerning Jesus. The first point is that Jesus is the successful suffering servant. Second point, Jesus was abhorred, but the atoning sacrifice. And a third point, Jesus is the righteous savior. So first we see Jesus, the successful suffering servant, and then we see Jesus abhorred, but the atoning sacrifice, and then we'll see that he is the righteous savior. So our first point, Jesus, the successful suffering servant. Look at verse 13. It says, see, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. You see, this is the fourth suffering, this is a fourth servant song in Isaiah that speaks of the serving, suffering, and exaltation of the Messiah. You see, the prophecy begins with, see, my servant will be successful. This servant whom God speaks of is the chosen servant, none other than the Messiah, and is fulfilled by Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate. He is the servant of the Lord who has submitted himself to the will of God. And God says that he will be successful. He will act wisely. You see, he's saying he will be successful. And what's going on is that the prophecy begins with how it will end. You see, before he gets into the sufferings of Christ, he has already declared how things will end. God is guaranteeing success, meaning that he will accomplish every purpose that the sufferings of Christ was intended for. And how will it end for Jesus? Well, it says that he will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. You see, he will be exalted. After his humiliation, Christ resurrected from the grave and victoriously ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 would say that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him. And so the prophecy begins with the end in sight, the exaltation, and then it goes into the humiliation of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 14, where it says, just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. You see, those who saw Jesus in his suffering, they were astonished at his appearance. He was rejected and hated. He was unjustly condemned and severely beaten by both Jews and the Romans. They punched, whipped, and scourged, scourged him. They forcefully shoved down a crown of thorns on his head and wrapped his bloody body with a purple robe, mocked him, and beat him. The persecution and suffering of Christ was so barbaric that afterwards, he didn't even look like a human being. Like Emmett Till, 
the African-American teenager who was brutally beaten and killed by white men for being falsely accused for whistling at a white woman. You see, what they did to him was so horrific that he was completely unrecognizable at his funeral as he had an open casket funeral to show the destructiveness of racism. He didn't even look like a human being. Well, in our passage, what we see is that Jesus, the suffering servant, will be shamefully humiliated to the point to where he is unrecognizable. Then verse 15, what it reveals is the ultimate end is death, which will result in him sprinkling many nations. Verse 15 says this, so he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. You see, it says that he will sprinkle many nations. And what this is getting at is the language of sacrifice. It implies the type of death that he died. It was an offering for sin. And it's implicit here, but it will be way more explicit in Isaiah chapter 53. And what he sprinkled the nations with was with his very own blood. Like how the priest would make a sacrifice for sin and sprinkle and apply the blood on the mercy seat. Well, Jesus' sacrifice would be for sin and it would be applied to all who trust in him. And it would not just be for Jews, but also Gentiles. And we see that because it says that he will sprinkle many nations. And the question is, how will he sprinkle many nations? Well, his own disciples will testify what he did, the fact that he died and resurrected from the grave, and they will go into all nations and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as this gospel goes forth, those who hear and repent and believe will be sprinkled clean, cleansed from their sins and be baptized, showing that they have been cleansed and forgiven. You see, Jesus is the successful suffering servant. His humiliation will lead to the exaltate to his exaltation and the salvation of the people from all nations. And so we've seen the successful suffering servant. Well, now let's look at Jesus, how he was abhorred, but the atoning sacrifice. Look at verses one to three. It says, Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. You see, Isaiah begins this chapter with two questions. And as he, these two questions, what he's getting at is how the Jews rejected his message. You see, the Lord has revealed himself through the incarnation of the Son of God. You see, the Son of God took on human flesh, being one person with two, two natures. He is truly God and truly man. He is the one who the Jews anticipated. He is the son of David, the promised messianic king. Yet he was abhorred because he did not meet their expectations. 
You see, he wasn't handsome like King Saul, who everyone loved his appearance, but rather they were unimpressed with Jesus. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Rather than accepting their king, they abhorred and rejected him. And this rejection is because they were, they were spiritually blind due to their sin. They couldn't see that their king has arrived. And so they abhorred and rejected him. And then the passage also says that Jesus was a man of suffering. He suffered dearly through opposition and persecution, but he also sympathized with those who suffered. He bore their sickness and suffering. And though he was rejected, he was still the atoning sacrifice for the sins of his people. Look at verse 4. It says, yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. You see, he bore our sorrows and carried our griefs and the Jews regarded him as accursed by God. You see, they perceived that Jesus was a blasphemer since he made himself equal to God. And those who uh, blaspheme, Deuteronomy 23, 21 says that those who are cursed by God should be hung on a tree. And that's exactly what the Jews wanted for Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. But what they didn't realize is that he was cursed by God, not for his sins because he is sinless, but he was cursed by God for the sins of his people. And the text is absolutely clear that he suffered for the sins of others. Chapter 53, verse 5 says that he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. Verse 6, the Lord punished him for the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, he was struck because of my people's rebellion. Verse 10, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely when you make him a guilt offering. Verse 11, and he will carry their iniquities. Verse 12, he bore the sin of many. All of this conveys that he suffered for the sins of his people in order to save them. He suffered and died as a substitute. And this is the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. Penal being a Latin word, just talking about penalty. In order for us to be saved, Christ had to pay the penalty for our sins. Substitutionary. He died in our place in atonement. He died to cover our sins, to restore relationship between God and sinners. So what it gets at is that Christ paid the penalty for our sins in our place to cover them and restore our relationship with God. You see, this summarizes what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. And scripture is abundantly clear of the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. You see, in Genesis 2, God declared that the penalty for sin is death. Well, in Genesis 3, Adam rebelled and an animal was slaughtered to cover Adam. But then you go to the Passover where a sacrifice, the sacrifice of a spotless lamb protected families from God's judgment. And then you go to Leviticus in the Day of Atonement, which was occurred once a year where there was a sacrifice of a goat for the forgiveness of the sins of the people of Israel. 
You see, all of this was pointing to and finds its fulfillment in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So much so that John chapter 1 verse 29, John the Baptist would say this. He would say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when John said this, he wasn't referring to an actual lamb. But he's referring to Jesus Christ, who will be sacrificed in the place of sinners. He came to suffer and die for sin. See, friends, sin is the great equalizer. You see, all of us are guilty of sin, regardless of one's age, class, ethnicity, or upbringing. All of us were, at one time, we were in sin, being this state of rebellion against God. And being in sin manifested itself through our sinful actions, where we have not obeyed the Lord. And because we have rebelled against him, we deserve God's judgment, condemnation, because sin invokes God's holy and just wrath. And God is just. He cannot wink at sin. He cannot ignore it, but he must justly punish it. And that's what he did at the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, through the death of Christ, the Father condemned sin in the flesh. You see, on the, cry, on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God for all of our rebellion, for all the ways that we have fallen short of his standard. He bore God's wrath for our sexual immorality and our slander, for our lies and our lust, for our greed and our grumbling. He bore God's wrath for our drunkenness and our discontentment, our hatred and our haughtiness, our boasting in ourselves and our bitterness. He died for our envy and every evil thought or deed. You see, all of these sins and more were laid on Jesus Christ. And he absorbed every drop of the Father's wrath to save his people. And the result of his death for us is that we now have peace with God. There is reconciliation where there was once enmity and hostility. You see, we are no longer separated from God, but brought near to him because of the Lord Jesus. The prophecy would also say that we are healed by his wounds. You see, sin is likened to a disease that we are in need to be cured of. And there's no modern medicine that can cure us of this. The CDC nor any scientist would ever find a vaccine that can treat our sin. The only remedy and the only medicine is the blood of Jesus Christ. Like in the movie I Am Legend, where there was a plague that transformed humans to bloodthirsty mutants. They found no cure until the very end. And then Will Smith gave the dopest line in the movie when he said, the cure is in the blood. Well, friends, the cure from our sin is in the blood. And it's not just in any blood. It's not in the blood of goats or bulls or any other person, but it's only in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, his sacrifice on the cross atoned for our sins completely. 
We are healed. We are delivered from the penalty of sin. And we are being delivered from the power of sin. So much so that the Apostle Peter would say that Christ died, that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, we can resist sin now and obey God because of what Christ has done. And on that final day, we will be delivered. We'll be freed and delivered from the presence of sin. You see, with the wounds of Jesus, we have been healed. You see, in verses four through six, it testifies of what took place when Jesus was on the cross. But friends, do you know why? Why would God send his only son to become a servant and suffer and die as the sin bearer? He did it because he loves us. Friends, God loves us. And he loves us not because we're lovable, not because there was something in us that was desirable, but rather he loves us because he has chosen to love us. And he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ is where God's justice against sin meets his mercy for sinners. You see, God has condemned sin and we have been pardoned. God doesn't treat, God doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve because he dealt with his son what our sins deserve. And if you know yourself to not be a Christian, I am so glad you are here. Well, I'm glad that you're listening to this sermon. I implore you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, just like us, you are guilty of sin and therefore you need a savior. You need forgiveness of sins for all the ways that you have rebelled against God. You need peace with God. And none of this can happen on your own. There's no matter works that you can do to, that would merit peace with God. You see, peace and forgiveness is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I implore you, turn from your sin and trust in him. For he offers forgiveness for all who trust in him. And saints... Remember that Jesus is the he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that is why we have peace with God. And so we've seen Jesus, the successful suffering servant. And we've seen Jesus abhorred, but the atoning sacrifice. And now we will see Jesus, the righteous savior. Look at verses seven and eight. Where it says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate for he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. You see, these verses speaks to his unjust trial and suffering before his crucifixion. He was oppressed and afflicted. You see, they wanted to put an end to his life. And though he was oppressed, reviled, and afflicted, he kept silent. He didn't defend himself, fully aware that his death was imminent, yet he kept silent and entrusted himself to God the Father. 
You see, though killed at the hands of lawless men by being nailed to a cross, God providentially willed this so that he would be struck for his people's rebellion. Look at verse 9. It says he was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. You see, Jesus, he was buried in a rich man's tomb after he died. And they considered him a blasphemer, but he never committed any sin because he is righteous. So he never did any violence. He never spoke deceitfully. He never sinned at all. And all of this took place according to the definite plan of God. Verse 10 says, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. Would you make him a guilt offering? He will see his seed and he will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. Verse 11 says, after his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. You see, verse 10, it sounds like the Lord, um, yeah, it sounds, it, it Verse 10 is not that the Lord delightfully crushed Jesus, but rather, well, before I even say that, it's not that the Lord delightfully crushed Jesus. Rather, God loves the beloved son. So what was actually taking place was rather the Lord was pleased with the results of Jesus' sacrifice. You see, it resulted in satisfaction of his wrath against sin and the salvation of sinners and enemies being adopted into his family and us having eternal life. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ accomplished all this and more because he is the righteous Savior. If he wasn't, there would be no forgiveness of sins. There would be no salvation. He would not be an all-sufficient Savior, but rather he would need a Savior. But Jesus is the righteous Savior. He is the righteous one who died in the place for unrighteous people, which has led to our justification. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Christ perfectly obeyed God, and then he died as a substitute, rose from the grave, and when we trust in him, his righteousness is transferred or imputed to us to where we are justified before God, where we are declared righteous. Look at verse 12. It says, Therefore, I will give him the many nations as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for rebels. You see, the prophecy concludes with the son of God receiving the elect as his reward. You see, the ones that he died for are the very ones that he will have as his reward. The nations are his inheritance because he humbled himself and submitted to the will of God to the point of death on a cross for our sins. You see, the bookends of our passage deal with the end and outcome of Jesus suffering and death. It ends in his exaltation and the inheritance of nations. 
And now he is exalted in heaven, interceding for those whom he died to save. Friends, have you ever wondered why do we call it Good Friday? You see, how could such a gruesome death ever be called something good? The reason is because what Christ accomplished through his death is the greatest good ever imaginable. And the people of God will never get over Good Friday because it's because of Jesus' sacrifice is the basis for by which we are accepted by God. You see, we never get over Good Friday because Jesus has instituted the ordinance of the Lord's Supper for us to remember what happened on Good Friday. The bread represents his body being broken and the cup represents his blood being shed. And we never get over Good Friday because in heaven we will sing of what happened on Good Friday. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says this. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open his seals because you were slaughtered. And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they will reign on the earth. You see, saints, we will ever sing of the precious blood of the Son of God. We will ever remember of what took place on Good Friday, where Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God for the sins of the people of God, that we may know the forgiveness of God and therefore have peace with God. And one day we will eternally dwell in the presence of God. And Jesus Christ, he did it all for the glory of God. You see, saints, may we never forget what Jesus Christ did for us. May today not be the only day where we celebrate the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ, where he died on the cross and and God's wrath against sin was satisfied through his death. It is the basis by which we are saved. May we remember and celebrate. But friends, that is not how the story ends. Because three days later, the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. And he ascended to heaven afterwards and he is exalted, awaiting the day to return to save his people and consummate his kingdom. So may we remember. And may we anticipate and long for the day where we will see him and worship him in his presence, saying, worthy is the lamb. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and die and ransom and save us. Father, we praise you for your grace and your love towards us in Christ. Oh Lord, may we long to gather, may we long to be in his benevolent presence for all of eternity, worshiping you and the Lamb because of your grace towards us in Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.